Welcome to Patrick Jones Baseball, where we combine the old school and the new school way of thinking to develop the best baseball players we possibly can. On this episode, we have John Lampros. John is the owner of 2-5 Baseball. He's based out of Fresno, California. He talks a little bit about his background playing college baseball. He was an NAIA player, admits he wasn't very successful, and has been really driven on becoming a very, very good hitting coach to help develop the best hitters he possibly can. We talk about Rapsodo, hitting Rapsodo, and how he uses it to help the players that he works with, college recruiting, and the infamous summer baseball. Travel baseball is becoming... Um, you know, really talked about because social media has become so big. And so we talk a little bit about the, the pros and the cons of playing travel baseball. If you haven't already, please make sure to head on over to iTunes and subscribe and rate and leave a review. It really helps the overall rating of the show and helps more people find this podcast so we can help and develop more players and coaches. So without further ado, here is John Lampro. All right, and we are now live with John Lampros. John, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so why don't you give all the listeners a little bit of uh, your background, kind of where you came from, and how you got to where you're at right now. Yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting road. Um, you know, I started started out coaching uh, really when I was in college. Um, started working at a facility here locally and you know kind of went through the did did the paying my dues thing where I worked with the the six and the seven and very early on hitters um you know as a player I put this story actually in the bio on my on my twitter account that I I was a terrible college hitter I hit 130 in the NAIA and really just didn't uh didn't have a plan, didn't have an approach, didn't have any guidance, uh, didn't really have a whole a whole lot of anything. Um, and so, you know, I spent the last, I finished playing ball in 2010. I had a herniated disc in my back and kind of had to hang it up and started coaching. And I've spent the last basically 10 years now trying to figure out why I sucked as a hitter. And and that's kind of what led me to start 2-5 baseball. And that, that started about five years ago. So I really started out as a travel ball program and had a few lesson guys that I was working with and did the travel ball thing for a while, uh, tried to build the, the lessons and the, the training through that and really just dove more into the training. Uh, the travel ball stuff we'll get to later. Um, I have my, my mixed, mixed views on that, but really just I, I've set my mission to really help guys understand who they want to be as a hitter and who they want to be as a player and understanding failure. One of our, our mottos that we kind of live by is fail better. Uh, we want to understand that baseball is a game of failure. I talk through that with every guy that comes through my, comes through my facility when they come in. It's, hey, you know, we're all failures. Mike Trout's a failure. Barry Bonds is a failure. Everybody's a failure in this game. Uh, the guys that can deal with that and, and roll with the punches and understand how to kind of get around those failures and, and find success in the in the little things are the guys that are going to play this game a long time. Where where did you go to college? So I played baseball at Fresno Pacific. 
Uh, it was at the time it was an NAIA school, and now they are D two. So they made that transition right after I I hung them up, but uh, went there as a walk on. Um, again, it's kind of the guidance thing that I try to give these guys. I had no idea about the college recruiting. I guess you can call it business, for lack of a better term, the, the college recruiting situation. I you know, had one offer coming out of college or coming out of high school. It was a, a school in, out in the Midwest that had never seen me play and basically offered me a thousand bucks and some housing. Um, and, and I'm a California kid at heart, so I wasn't trying to go play in the, in the snow and the, the rain and, and the crappy weather. So uh, in hindsight, you know, I definitely would have gone the JUCO route. Uh, you know, guys like Eric Sim that, that talk about how Juco kind of kind of shaped him. It, it really would have been good for somebody like me uh, coming from a single parent household that I didn't really, you know, have some of the opportunities that some of the guys that I played with have as far as playing travel ball and going to showcases and doing those things. So I was really just trying to, to build my brand organically. And back in 2007, we didn't really have as much with the YouTube and the the Twitter, I mean, we didn't even have Twitter or Facebook when I was coming up. So, you know, trying to trying to get to college coaches was was hard. And I kind of made the decision academically that I wanted to go to a four-year school instead of a junior college. And looking back on that, on the playing side, I, I battled injuries. And, you know, you only get one redshirt year. So it, it was something that I, I ended up earning a scholarship while I was there, um, but really never was able to find a position and get rolling. Do you uh, recommend uh, the junior college route to some of your players? Absolutely. I think, you know, from like I said, for me, if somebody would have been in my ear saying, hey, you know, you've got this opportunity that you, I mean, I had, I passed the eye test. I was 6'2", 200 pounds as a freshman in high school and kind of maintained that size the entire time, left-handed bat, uh, didn't really have a defensive position, and that was one of my downfalls. Um but, you know, going to the JUCO route, I could have probably spent those couple years or even three years trying to figure it out there. And, and I've got guys that, you know, they, they have the D1 goals and they don't really understand what it means. Uh, the first year I did travel ball, I, I did a questionnaire with my guys. And, and one of the questions on there was, where do you see yourself playing in college? And I got a lot of dream answers, a lot of Stanford's, a lot of Vanderbilt's, uh, you know, really high academic kids. So academically, they'd probably be great there. Um, but what I did was I went on to Perfect Games website and pulled up how many commits each of those schools had for that graduating class and kind of put it in perspective for these guys that, hey, you know, you're you're going into your junior, senior year of high school and this school's already got 10 commits in your grade. Uh, what are you going to do that's going to set you apart? And, and it really starts to put it in perspective for these guys that maybe the JUCO route isn't a bad idea. I mean, California JUCO is kind of its own its own animal. We don't have scholarships out here. Uh, a lot of them don't have housing, so it is a little bit of a uh, a different mindset than you know some of the other JUCOs around the country. Um, but I've even you know through ABCA and through Twitter tried to make the connections with the JUCO coaches outside of the state and and get these guys playing somewhere because uh, that's that's really what what my goal is. When every kid walks into my cage, whether they're eight years old or 17 years old, I want them to play for as long as they can and exhaust all options in doing that. That's interesting. So why is it just in California that they don't have scholarships for junior college? 
You know, I have no idea. California, so California has its own junior college system. Um, so they're I'm not separate, sure they're why they don't have everyone else. Separate from everyone else, they play. They play in their state tournament, and that's about it. Um, they don't do any. They don't go to nationals or anything like that. Um, so it's it's kind of its own its own animal here. I mean, we've got hundreds of junior colleges here in California alone. So it, it kind of sets itself up as its own little entity. But what I've run into is, you know, I've made some of the connections with the junior college coaches outside of our area. We have, I think, six junior colleges within an hour and a half of me. So there, there is a lot of opportunity here in the area from the junior college side. Um, but when you're looking at trying to play California junior college and go down, to, go down to LA or go down to San Diego, then you've got to factor in the housing situation and, and all that. So a lot of these kids try to stay local and then, you know, it, it gets to be where you're, you're showing up with 150 guys at tryouts and, and you got to try to make it happen. So just trying to educate these guys on that there's a bigger world than the Fresno area or the central Valley and, and really help them find a spot where they can go and thrive and, and find a good fit for them. How, uh, so, so two, five baseball, you have your own facility, right? So I don't currently, okay. um, I rent, so I have two jobs right now. I, I work full time, um, in the transportation and logistics industry, uh, for now. Um, I'm actually looking to make the transition in the next few weeks to be baseball full time. So that'll be a, a big jump for me. Wow. Um, I rent, I rent a cage from a facility right now that kind of it, it started out as just a weekend thing and, and now I have a key to the building and I kind of roll in when I when I can find time around the teams and some of the other things that are going on in there. Um, so so I'm strictly a part time. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of treated baseball as a paid hobby um, where, you know, I, I treat every kid like they're my little brother. Uh, the money's great, but at the same time, um, that's not what I do it for. And, and I think that's very important uh, for for the hitting instructor to to portray to their their players and the parents is that this isn't a money thing for me. Uh, I get to do what I love to do every day and help guys get better. And you know, eventually, it's going to be something where that's what I support my family on. But you know. Making some of the investments, I, I put it up on Twitter the other day that I've made eight thousand dollars in investments in the program just this just since December, uh, between Rapsodo and and buying a spinball machine and and some of the other things that I've been doing uh, to really show these guys that I'm invested more so than just the the paycheck. And so, you know, really in the last three months, my business has grown uh, from kind of a paid hobby into an actual business where I'm having to keep track of everything because I've gone from really cruising around 10 to 15 guys that I had regular to uh, close to 50 now. Whoa! So it's, it's it's been a it's been a huge couple months, and you know the summer is going to be my opportunity to kind of see if this is really something I can do on a full time full-time basis and continue to, to give those guys everything that I have. Cause again, I, every kid that walks in, I tell them, Hey, I want you to be a D one player, whether you get there or not is up to you. Um, and some of the work that you'll do, but I, I am working in the lesson model, uh, as of right now. And, and I think the lesson model gets a lot of, a lot of flack on, on hitting Twitter, especially, um, you know, I'd love to be in the group model, but that's not something that I can do right now with the cage space that I have. Um, so, so with the lesson model that I use, uh, we've always got some sort of work attached, um, 
you know, they're, they're supposed to be sending me video. They're supposed to be doing their movement prep work during the week. They're supposed to be hitting pretty much every day. Um, in some regard, we, we work through some sort of T routine with every guy, uh, because a lot of these guys, they only have, you know, a T and a bonehead at their house to, to really get their work in. So we, we go through a T routine with everybody. Um, so they have something at least that they can work on. That's going to help their swing get better. Um, but, you know, moving towards the future, I would like to get into some sort of group model or some sort of, you know, academy type model um, where the guys can come in a little bit more often. And it's it's a little bit a uh, little bit more focused than than the one or once or twice a week that I'm able to see them. Uh, g- going back to when you, you were saying you went from 15 to 50 guys in like such a short time period. What do you attribute that to just word of mouth or? How'd you, how'd you make that huge uh, jump in such a short amount of time? So the, the, there, it's kind of a two-parted thing. The word of mouth is, is huge for me. Uh, I used to be big in the Facebook groups and throwing the, the flyers out there and trying to put my name out there and doing everything I could to, to try to, to add guys into the program. Um, Rapsodo has been huge. Uh, being able to get away from, you know, kind of self-promoting and just, putting out facts has been huge for some of these guys and, and, and even guys that weren't really attainable for me. We have a lot of ex pros in the area that, that do lessons and, and work with hitters. And, and I, I don't have that background and, and I didn't grow up here. So I've kind of fought the uphill battle as far as that's concerned, but uh, you know, really just being able to put out the facts, put out the numbers. I mean, we can, I've been throwing out Rapsodo videos and using the reporting feature that we have to kind of explain what we do and how we do it. And, and it's just kind of grown like wildfire, like where it was really almost overnight and it's been crazy, but I, I, I would attribute it most to just the, the belief I have in my players um, I, I don't treat anybody like, like a number. Um, they're all guys that I want to see go as far as they can. Like I said earlier, they're all like my little brothers and, and I want that, I want to see them be successful and, and we're celebrating their, their, you know, milestones. And every time they're hitting PRs, we're jumping around in the cage. Like we're a bunch of, you know, 12 year old kids. Most of them are 12 year old kids, but I'm jumping around too and hooting and hollering and having a good time. And, and I want them to to be able to chase those numbers and attain those goals. And then, you know, we, we kind of rolled out the tank squad this year um, where we any any kid that hit a home run, he, he got to be part of the tank squad and he got his T-shirt. And, you know, they're having fun with that and they're getting excited about it. So any way that I can get them excited about putting the work in and 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 continuing to grow as a player, uh, I think has really helped people from the outside see that, you know, regardless of my background, we're creating results and we're, we're creating guys that, that understand what they're trying to do up there. So going in and do a little bit more in depth about Rapsodo, like, tell me how, how do you use it? How do you use it to, to develop players? So initially what we're doing, and this is something I've been working on uh, with Chaz and Tyler from Baseball Rebellion. I didn't used to do evaluations when they came in and, Looking back on it now, that was, you know, kind of a growth process for me of, you know, kids are coming in and, and we're starting them off right off the bat of, well, you need to change this, this and this in your swing without them really seeing and talking about what that looks like. 
Um, so, you know, about a month ago, really, I started doing uh, all my evaluations through Rapsodo. So we'll bring a kid in. The first the first session is usually just an evaluation. Um, we'll bring him in and we'll put him on the on the Rapsodo. We'll get all his numbers. We'll get all his video and we'll kind of talk through what he looks like. Um, and we usually try to pick out things that are that we like first. Because again, I don't want a kid coming in there and thinking I'm going to change his entire swing, or ch unless it absolutely needs it. There are, you know, there are some kids where they do need to do a swing overhaul. But we go through, we talk, talk through the numbers, we'll talk through the video, and then usually what I'll do is I'll show them a kid in their age group that's been in the program a while. I'll show them his rap soda videos, his rap soda numbers, and and kind of explain here. This is where we're at. This is where we're trying to go. Um, and the kids really, really seem to, to thrive off of that because it's, again, it's creating a comfortability piece where I'm not the guy that's just going to tell them their swing sucks. I'm going to get in there and, and find, find pieces that, that they do well and build the rest of the swing around it and build the approach around it, which is, you know, something that we, we also kind of talk through on the Rapsodo side is we get the heat maps of the, the strike zone. And we'll look at, okay, you, you hit the inside pitch really well velocity-wise, but your launch angles are low, uh, which is part of why you're here is you roll over everything on the inside pitch. So then we start talking through, okay, how do we fix that? Um, and it really just gives us an opportunity to, to dive in more than just being a swing coach into approach and what we're trying to do at the plate. Um, I, I'm really into the hard hit percentage right now. Um, kind of watching as, as guys put up new maxes and new PRs, how that, how that affects their, their hard hit percentage and, and trying to keep that as high as we can get it. Uh, so we're really using all the data that, that Rapsodo provides to really put together a, a full plan for these guys and teach them how to, to be the best them that they can be consistently. Which is which is what we're really trying to do. How do you use like on on the rap set? I know they have like spin access, exit spin. Like, do you use any of those at all when when watch looking at players? So we'll we'll talk through it. Um, I've I've kind of had mixed reviews as far as like there's balls that they'll hit in the cage that look like they're backspun and it'll pop up as a topspin. Um, so we're kind of trying to work through taking that at face value. Um, but we do talk about it a lot. I mean, there's there's kids that that'll come in where they they top spin everything, um, and then there's kids. I had a college kid come in the other day that's creating like seven thousand RPM backspin on a ball because he's straight down the face of the mountain, and and those are things we need to kind of address too. We we kind of try to find a, a happy zone right around the, the fifteen hundred to two thousand RPMs for most of the kids, and then you know the harder they hit the ball, the more they can get away with spin a little bit there. Um, but again, it's, it kind of goes by each kid and, and what they're trying to do. Um, so the, the spin and the, the spin axis is, is something that we'll, we'll take a look at and we'll, we'll kind of be cognizant of if a kid hits a ball hard, um, and it doesn't get out of the infield. We'll talk oh, about uh, just, um, I, I just forgot just to clarify, just for everyone listening, like, can you explain what an RPM is in case that nobody knows? Yeah, so the RPMs are the the revolutions per minute uh, that the ball is making. Um, so, you know, generally speaking, I like to, like I said, I like to keep my guys between 1,500 and 2,000 RPMs. 
um, which is which is a well backspun ball, but it's not overspun. We're not clipping it at that point. Um, as I said, I've got guy. I mean, the the more you square the ball up, the less the spin is going to be, obviously. Um, but we've got guys that have come in, like I said, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand RPMs, where they're just spinning balls and and wondering why they're not getting carried. Um, and it just kind of spins up in the air and dies. So, you know, we, we talk through all that stuff, um, for the kids and, and really explain it to them. So they understand it to where they see a ball, they start to give me the feedback, which is what the, which is what my goal is. I'm not trying to tell guys every time they spin a ball or top spin a ball that they, that they rolled over. I want them to feel it. I want them to know it. So then when they look at that data, they already know what's happening. And it's just kind of reinforcing it for them, and they can try to make the the adjustments and the alterations and the swing that they need to make to to really find a spot that that works for them from a consistent basis. So, okay, that that was awesome information. That's probably the most uh, in depth rap soto information that I've heard. That's that's really really good. Um, kind of transitioning now into into the infamous travel baseball. Um, idea and just the programs i know you said you started out in travel baseball um what was your experience like this is actually going to be my first summer coaching travel baseball um i'm in cincinnati so i'm helping coach out a team but what was your experience like so i mean on face value travel baseball is a great experience there's a lot of programs out here that do a really really good job um you know norcal baseball is one of the biggest in the country uh, they do a great job. We got CBA down in LA that's that's doing some pretty good things. Um, for me, you know, the the problem that I see with travel baseball is that it's a little bit built on insecurity. Um, people feel like they have to play in tournaments and they have to go to to these showcases and they have to do all these things or else they're not going to get scouted. And kind of my experience was I took a team of kids that were solid ball players. Uh, um, the first class that I had was the 2017 class. I started with them in 2015 and we ended up having 11 guys from that team go on to play at the next level. Um, one of them just let just signed from a Juco to a D one. So that'll make three D one guys out of that team. So we had a solid team. Um, the, the thing that, that I saw most is it's all about the legwork that your coaches are doing. Um, as far as the, the recruiting and the, the exposure piece of it, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of connections when I first started it. I wasn't part of ABCA. I didn't have the the Twitter kind of background that I have now. And so we're showing up to these games and, you know, I'm trying to sell these people on the fact that, oh, college coaches are going to be there and it's a great tournament and it's a great experience. And then we go and I don't see a college coach the entire weekend. And the parents are picking up on that, too, because they're the ones in the stands and they're the ones paying the bill. And it's it's super obvious to see when there's a college coach there or not. Um, so, you know, for me, the the travel ball experience was was one where I was just kind of spinning my wheels and I felt like my kids were, too. Um, there there was one kid that, that played for me and he was a lefty arm. We went to five different tournaments. A bunch of colleges saw him. He saw he got one kind of okay offer from a school and that was really it out of five tournaments and this is a, a I mean he was 82 to 84 with a with a good change up from the left side and so 
one day I went out to one of his games for the high school team. He ended up being pitcher of the year in his league with a tied with a kid that went to UCLA. And uh, I took video of one at bat and threw it on Twitter. And I think he got four offers <laughs> just, really? from, just from that one video. And one of them was a full ride offer um, to an NAIA school. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, that that was the biggest eye-opening experience for me and and that was even before flat ground and and all the stuff that we have now uh, that maybe I'm concentrating my efforts in the wrong direction. I was trying to do the travel ball and the development at the same time and was getting frustrated when when kids were either choosing not to play for my team or you know playing for teams that don't do the development side and they just you know throw kids on the field and say, hey, let's go get it. Um, in, in travel ball, there's development guys and there's salesmen. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things that people can look for when they're, when they're trying to pick a travel organization is the, asking the right questions. Uh, what do you guys do as far as hitting? What do you guys do as far as pitching? Um, do you guys have any off-season programs where you're doing velocity development on the pitching side or, or anything like that? Because you're, you're making a long-term investment. When you start breaking down the numbers of travel ball, you're – if you play travel ball from eighth grade to your senior year of high school, you're basically paying for a year of college to play travel ball. And when you, when you really start breaking down the numbers and tuition and everything and the travel. So when, when people are making these investments, it's what are you, what are you going to do to help my child get better? Because any travel ball coach can go sell a kid, but what are you going to do to actually make them better? And that's what I tried to sell when I was doing my program is I, I tried to keep it fairly affordable. I was usually the the cheapest team in the area uh, from a money perspective. And we were practicing twice a week and we had them on bat sensors and, you know, we had them on the stopwatch every time they were taken infield to, you know, kind of try to create that internal clock. And we were doing a lot of things that other teams weren't doing. Um, it, but it just felt like we were spinning our wheels. We weren't getting the upper echelon player. Um, because we didn't have some of the financial backing that some of the other programs had. So last year was my last year coaching uh, travel ball. And it it really just, it was actually my wife that put it in perspective. And I I would be remiss if I didn't, didn't shout her out that she, it was basically a situation where she told me I didn't need to do travel ball anymore. Um, I was coming home and it was always frustrating and, you're always chasing money and, and I lost so much money coaching travel ball for four years that, I mean, it is just, I had to decide what was best for me and my family and best for the kids that I work with. And so I've really gotten into the, into, you know, with the Rapsodo videos and some of the things that I can do with video editing. I mean, we could put together a 30, 45 second video clip for, for a kid and throw it on Twitter and see what happens. Uh, and that cost them really nothing. So that's that's the direction I'm going in now. Again, like I, I think there's a place for travel ball, definitely. But if you're the if you're the poosling and righty that's 78 to 80, and you're spending your whole summer playing travel ball instead of getting in the in the weight room and getting on some sort of velo program, I, I think you're investing in the wrong the wrong areas. So, in your opinion, when it comes to travel baseball and recruiting, it's it's all about. Uh, your coach and your coach is, is really you know, going to be the one that's going to help you get recruited. Right. It's, I mean, you have to have the talent for sure. Uh, because it, it's one guy put it in perspective for me. The first, the first tournament I ever went to, I had a kid throw a complete game and he was, 
84 from the right side with a curveball. And one of the perfect game scouts that was there, he he's like, hey, you know, you had a great game, but here's the thing. In L.A., there's 100 kids that are 84 with a curveball. What's going to set your kid apart and make an L.A. coach come up here to, to Fresno and see this kid? Um, and that's that's really kind of the what people need to think about when they're when they're thinking about putting together a travel ball schedule. It's what are you really showcasing? Are you are you the best player in your are you the best player at your position in your league? If you if you are great, go do travel ball. Uh, if you're not, you need to start focusing there first and, and really take advantage of some of the opportunities. I mean, there's right next door to my facility that I use. There's a, a strength and conditioning facility who where the guy that runs it uh, was a college baseball player and trains guys for baseball. And people aren't taking advantage of it. And it's it's like all these opportunities are here. And I, I broke it down on, on Twitter last night, actually, and it's been blowing up my phone is, you know, the the contrast of how much training you can get for what you're spending to go play travel ball as a as an average player. Uh, if you're an above average player, absolutely. Travel ball is great. You can get yourself in the right positions, provided your coach is, is making the phone calls ahead of time. Um, finding out what colleges are going to be there, what their needs are, um, and then promoting those players that fit their needs. The first time a college coach had me called me, I had word vomit and, and promoted a whole bunch of kids that really wouldn't have fit in his school, and it never went anywhere, and that coach never called me again. So it's it's one of those things where it's a big-time, you know, kind of first-impression type deal, and and if, if you're wasting their time, they're not going to come out and see you. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really glad you, you just brought that up because a lot of – players who listen to this might go to their coach and ask them to call this school or that school and they're not ready for that and that's just your your credibility's gone after that you know what I mean right yeah it's the these kids have to understand and this is something that wasn't taught to me when when I was coming up through was there's a good fit for everybody Um, people talk a lot about you know all the D1 guys that go sign D1 and then the next year they're playing junior college ball and looking for somewhere to go or all the guys that kick back to the NAIA. It's you have to find a a spot that fits you academically, socially, development wise. Um, You know, I didn't ask those questions. My, my college, when we went there, we didn't even have really a weight room uh, to go to Uh, one year. Our, our off season's, strength and conditioning was a was a gym membership and it was kind of like make sure you go so i was kind of a, a soft soft in the middle you know big guy that didn't really ever sniff the weight room in high school and to go into a program like that it was you know great program in other regards but that's something i really needed and i didn't know that uh i know that now and so when I'm talking with guys about what schools to, to look at, it's, it's really finding what the best fit is for you. Are you do you want to go to this junior college because it's right down the street from your house and compete with seven other guys at your position? Or do you want to go to this junior college an hour and a half away that is dying for a person at your position and you'd probably start as a freshman? And, you know, putting it in perspective for those guys of, hey, they're, they're going to do this for you playing time wise. They're going to do this for you development wise. Uh, it's like if 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 I talk to a school and they're they tell me, you know, they look at a projectable body and they're like, well, he doesn't really throw enough, throw hard enough. 
um, I'm kind of questioning, okay, well, what kind of development are you guys doing? What is your, what is your VLO program look like? What does your off-season throwing program look like? If you don't see 87, 88 in this left-handed arm, because he's only 81, 82 right now, but he's 6'3", then I don't know if I want him going there anyway. Um, so it, it, it kind of works both ways of, you know, the, this, the colleges need to, are, I think, do a good job of recruiting guys that they think they can, they can use and win. Um, but the kids need to do a better job of, of making sure that the fit is right um, and making sure that it's really going to be a good four-year investment for them or five-year investment in my case. Are there any numbers uh, that you see, or like when looking at Rapsodo or whatever it is um, that you may use? Why I take that back? Use Rapsodo. Are there any numbers that you see there where, like, if if, if guys who hit this number, like exit velocity or whatever it may be, like they typically are a Division One caliber player, and then like this range is for like JUCO, or do you see anything like that at all? Um. I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just the the data, and that's you know really what the big the always the big argument with data is as well. It's it doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, I mean, I had a kid the other day that I mean he walked in with the steepest downhill swing I've ever seen and could hit a ball 95, 96 miles an hour, which is which is a good exit velocity. Um, and he's, I mean, he hit 286 in the NAIA and had one homer and three RBI or three doubles. Well, him, so and, him, like, and, him, you know, and, him and A-Rod will be best friends. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where we're going to, we're going to get him a little more on plane. And, and I mean, we set some goals where he wants to, he wants to hit, you know, double digit home runs and, and for sure double digit doubles next year. And, you know, it's a situation like that where he's got the he's got the exit velocity to do it, but would he be able to thrive on a D one team right now? Absolutely not. Even though he's got D one exit velocity where he can run it up over a hundred, um, you know. And then I've got it's you know my my goal with being a lesson guy and not being the the stereotypical lesson guy that just cashes the check and has kids hit good in a cage. Um, I like the numbers. We chase the numbers definitely, but I want to see how my kids are performing on the field. Yep. Um, if they can't, if they can't work through an at bat, where you know, I went to a game the other day. It was a, a district championship game, and the pitcher from the team that ended up winning was seventy-eight with a slider from the right side. Um, and for for eight innings, they went extra innings, and for eight innings, the team couldn't figure them out. And, and for me, that's some of the things that we're trying to teach our hitters outside of what your swing looks like or what your exit velocity looks like is if you're the fourth, fifth, sixth guy in the lineup and you see that this guy's starting everybody with a fastball and then he goes to the slider, you either jump on that first fastball or you wait for that hanging slider because it's not very good. Uh, but kids don't think about that and they don't they don't understand that really. Um, and I think, you know, going back to some of the things that set us apart, I I'm not a, a swing coach per se. Uh, we do a lot of work with the swing. We do a lot of work with swing plane and trying to, you know, make sure we're covering covering as much of the zone as we can. But really, at the end of the day, we need to be hitting coaches and help these kids produce on the field. I, I tell every kid when he walks in, I can give you the prettiest swing in the world, but if you can't put barrel the ball, then you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got guys like Hunter Pence that have like don't do a lot of things that you would teach. And he's had a you know ten twelve year major league career because he puts barrel on ball, and, and so you know we 
for for me, I take a lot of effort off of swing and swing mechanics and and really try to stay to the external of, okay, what's this pitcher trying to do? What am I trying to do with this pitch in this location? What am I trying to do in this situation? And then get on time. If we can get on time, the swing plane stuff, we'll clean it up later. Um, but really trying to find, find a focus, find an approach, and make sure my guys hit on the field. Um, I try to get out and see all my guys play. As the numbers have grown, it's gotten a lot harder. Um, but I really try to get out there and see them play and see what we're doing, see if what we're doing is translating. Awesome, John. Really appreciate your time, man. And, um, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Keep developing, you know, all the hitters. And again, I wish you the best of luck. I hope you crush it when you um, when you go full time in baseball. And again, just thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.